Well, good morning, everyone, and thank you again for the very kind words of welcome and the opportunity of returning here to the lifeboat uh, this morning. Spend this day. Always happy memories of coming here to the lifeboat in this lovely church, and of course, we remember it in former times. Our brother Bertie's reminding me that we first met in London Derry, 1977, and uh, a lot of water under the, the bridge since then. But it's a joy to still be serving the Lord. I'm now in my 84th year, and uh, I hope to come back and preach here when Bertie is 90. So uh, I'm not sure how far away that is, but uh, we'll just keep looking to the Lord. And the longer we serve Him, the sweeter He grows. Our Bible reading this morning is found in the book of Hebrews. Hebrews chapter 1. We're going to read uh, several verses from Hebrews 1 and then go to the last chapter of the book of Hebrews. Hebrews 13. Hebrews chapter 1 and we're reading at verse 8. Speaking of the Lord Jesus, the writer wrote, But unto the Son, he saith, Thy throne, O God, is forever and ever. A scepter of righteousness is the scepter of thy kingdom. Thou hast loved righteousness and hated iniquity. Therefore God, even thy God, hath anointed thee with the oil of gladness above thy fellows. And thy Lord, in the beginning, hast laid the foundation of the earth, and the heavens are the work of thine hands. They shall perish, but thou remainest, and they shall wax old as doth a garment, and as a vesture shalt thou fold them up, and they shall be changed. But thou art the same, and thy years shall not fail. Then Hebrews chapter 13, please. Hebrews chapter 13. And we're reading at verse 5. Let your conversation be without covetousness, and be content with such things as you have. For he has said, I will never leave thee nor forsake thee. So that we may boldly say, The Lord is my helper, and I will not fear what man shall do unto me. Remember them which have the rule over you, who have spoken unto you the word of God, whose faith follow, Considering the end of their conversation, Jesus Christ, the same yesterday, today, and forever. And amen, may God bless to us the reading of his sacred word. Our text for this morning is a very simple text. It's the last verse that we read this morning. Jesus Christ, the same yesterday, today and forever. Mr. Spurgeon at his tabernacle stood before the congregation and said, the business of this house is Jesus Christ. And can I say that is not only the theme of the whole Bible, but most certainly the theme of the book of Hebrews. The first chapter reminds us that he shall fold up the, the universe as a vesture, but he is the same. His years 
Fail not. He changes not. And as that is established in the first chapter of the book of Hebrews, so in the last chapter we come to this word, Jesus Christ, the same yesterday, today, and forever. There is no one like Jesus Christ, never can be, never will be. He came to answer two problems in our lives, the problem of sin. The book of Hebrews reminds us he came to put away sin by the sacrifice of himself. The problem of death. This book of Hebrews reminds us that he was brought again from the dead by the blood of the everlasting covenant. And our Lord Jesus Christ, by the merits of his atoning blood, entered into death and destroyed death and rose triumphant over death. And therefore we come with confidence to this verse this morning. Jesus Christ, the same yesterday, today, and forever. This verse reminds us that he is the changeless Christ, immutable. He knows no change. But not only the changeless Christ, he is the contemporary Christ. He is the same for us today as he was for Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. He is the same for us today as he was for John and Peter and Andrew and James and those disciples. He is not only the same, my friend, can I say, he is all-sufficient for all of our needs. And therefore, I ask you this morning to establish this thought, this verse in your mind. It's so simple, you can memorize it. Jesus Christ, the same yesterday, today, and forever. In memorizing, reading this verse, a verse that uh, merits more than just a, a study here this morning. It's a truth that we could uh, seek to, to plumb the depths of for, for many days. However, I suggest to you this morning that this little verse gives to us three dimensions of Jesus Christ. Yesterday, today, and forever. That is our Lord Jesus. When we think of Christ yesterday, he is what we might call the Christ of history. My friend, we remember the Gospels tell us how that Jesus Christ came into the world. He was born of a virgin, a miraculous birth. Not only born of a virgin, but his virtuous life, the Bible tells us, he went about doing good. Why, not only blind did see and lepers were cleansed, but the dead were raised from, uh, the dead were raised from the grave, and this is our Lord Jesus. But not only his virgin birth and his, his virtuous life, but also his vicarious death at Calvary's cross. And that's why we come to this table. When we use the word vicarious, it means in our place. He took my place and died for me. The Apostle Paul used the words in Galatians 2.20. He was a son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. Not for in the sense of because of me, but gave himself in the place of me. He is our substitute saviour. Therefore, we think of him as the Christ of history. But not only his vicarious death, his victorious resurrection. 
I remember a missionary in India, why one, a Muslim said to him one day, I pity your religion because for our religion, we can go to the tomb of the founder. We can visit his, we can see his coffin. Thank God for the Christian, you don't see the coffin. Thank God we never see the bones. If you've been to Jerusalem, you've read these words, he is not here, he is risen. And my friend, for that reason, we have a blessed hope today. Thank God for Jesus Christ, the, the Christ of history. However, when we think of Jesus Christ the same forever, it reminds us he's the Christ of prophecy. That is, my friend, that he is not only in the future, he controls the future. The Bible reminds us in the book of Revelation, chapter 1 and verse 19, John on the Isle of Patmos says these words, that he was caught up. The, the Lord said to him, Write the things which thou hast seen, and the things which are, and the things which shall be hereafter. The Lord Jesus is speaking. And with that, John is caught up into heaven. And God reveals to him that which is going to happen in the future. Prophecy is history written before it, before it happens. And that's, that's what God has done. And, and that is Jesus Christ, my friend. He's got this whole world in his hands, but he's got the future of this world in his hands. He's not only the Christ of history, he's the Christ of prophecy. And isn't that comforting for us this morning to know that power doesn't rest with Whitehall or a White House or, or uh, anything else. It's in the hands of our blessed God this morning. He is the Christ of prophecy. However, while we look at those two dimensions, it reminds us that he is the same today. That means I suggest to you this morning that he is the Christ of reality. He is real today. Sometimes we speak of our conversion uh, in this way. We, we met the Savior way back in the distant past. I trusted Christ as Savior way back in 1956. Oh, happy day that fixed my choice. I met Jesus Christ that day. He changed my life. But my friend, may I say, while it was important to meet Christ back on that day, it's important for me to meet with Christ every day. He is exactly the same. He is the Christ of reality. And that's why I ask of you this morning, do you have that living relationship with Jesus Christ that is real every day whereby he walks with you and he talks with you in that constant relationship that you have with him? I say that this morning because... If you look at the book of Hebrews, you will find that this is very relevant. Look at chapter 3, if you would. Hebrews chapter 3. And we read these words, Wherefore, as the Holy Ghost saith, today, if you hear his voice, not yesterday, not last year, today, if you hear his voice, harden not your hearts as in the provocation in the day of temptation in the wilderness. Look at verse 13. But exhort one another daily while it is called today. 
I said the business of this book of Hebrews is all about Jesus Christ. He's a Christ of reality, and the emphasis is on today. Today, if you hear his voice, uh, while it's called today, lest any of you be hardened through the deceitfulness of sin. Look at verse 15. While it is said, today, if you hear his voice, harden not your heart, as in the provocation. Go across the page to chapter 4 and look at verse 7. Again, he limited the certain time, saying, In David, today, after so long a time, as it is said, today, if you will hear his voice. Nowadays, we can emphasize something in our Bible, underline something in a red marker. The Bible's way of emphasizing is repetition. And here in this book, whereby we are reminded that Jesus Christ is the same today, repeatedly it's saying, today, 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 if you hear his voice. How about it this morning? That is why I suggest to you when we ask the question, what does Jesus Christ do today? How does he relate to us today? He speaks to us. Uh, look at chapter 1 and verse 1, if you would. The Bible here reminds us that he is a speaking God, Jesus Christ speaks to us. He is God's final word. Listen to what it says. God who at sundry times, that is many times, and in divers manners, that means diverse manners, God who at many times and diverse manners speak in time past unto the fathers by the prophets, hath in these last days spoken unto us by his Son, my friend, we assembled here this morning not to hear a visiting preacher. We're here this morning to hear the voice of God speaking to our hearts. He is the speaking God. It reminds us here that God many times and in diverse manners, he spoke, he spoke unto Adam. He spoke unto Seth. He spoke unto Noah and to Abraham and Isaac and Jacob. And you can go right down through the pages of the Old Testament and you will find that he was always the speaking God. As a matter of fact, in the book of the prophets, the most repeated phrase is, the Lord said, the Lord said, God said, he is the speaking God this morning. You know how much God has got to say to us? This much, this much. This is the word of God. Listen to what it says in 2, Corinthians, 2 Timothy chapter 3 and verse 16. All scripture, that is all of this book, all scripture is given by the inspiration of God. The word inspiration means the breath of God. This is a God-breathed book. Inspired, God-breathed. Do you know what that means? That means, my friend, when we open the book for God to speak to us, God opens his mouth and speaks to us. This book is backed by the very breath of God. Isn't that? Don't you think that's... I find that amazing. 
in the temptations of our Lord Jesus Christ, you'll remember that he was tempted to turn stones, transfer, transform stones into bread. Jesus answered the devil from the book of Deuteronomy saying, Man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that proceeds out of the mouth of God. The mouth of God. My friend, that is why it is so important for us as Christians that we be people of the book. We read the book. We memorize the book. We believe the book. We stand on the book. We preach the word. He's a speaking God. You remember Samuel as a young man. Samuel was asleep on the pillow when God spoke to him. Called him, Samuel, Samuel. Samuel didn't know what it was. He went to Eli and told Eli. Three times it happened. And Eli told him to go back. And if you hear the voice again calling, you simply say, Speak, Lord, for thy servant heareth. My friend, I suggest that that is something for all of us to do every day. To open this God-breathed book and ask God to speak to us. Speak to us. He's the speaking God. How does God speak to us? I don't, I don't think that we hear God speak audibly. God is not limited. God can do anything. I remember a lady said to me one day, Mr. Maxwell, you say that God doesn't speak audibly. I hear God speak audibly every day. I would suggest that you've got to be careful. God speaks out of his word. It's his word. And God speaks to us, my friend, through promises. Don't you cherish the promises of God? Someone has said that there are 4,474 promises in the Word of God. Do you know why there are so many? Because we need them. We need them. In our reading this morning, it reminded us of, of the, let your conversation be without covetous. Be content with such things as you have. For he has said, I will never leave you nor forsake you. Don't you need that promise? He is telling us here, we are to be content. Why? Because he will never, never forsake us. We need that sort of promise. And it says in the following verse, and because he has said, so that we may boldly say, I shall not fear what man shall do unto me. That means we can not only be content because he's always with us, we can be confident that he's in control. And we can be constant for he's the same yesterday, today, and forever. God speaks to us through his promises and you need them every day, my friend. I need them every day. There hath not failed us, Joshua wrote these words, there hath not failed us one word of all his good promise. Stand, kneel, walk, fight on the promises of God. God speaks to us through people. 
you know, the, the Word of God is not a sort of a, a full mix, ready mix, concrete, all slopped down. No. God takes His, his Word and he, he illustrates it through people. It is not only truth, it is truth in action. That's why you read about Abraham. Abraham was the father of the faithful, but sometimes even Abraham failed. My friend, God is speaking to us through Abraham and Moses and David. These were people of like passions as we are. He speaks to us. He speaks to us through precepts that we need to obey. We were singing about that this morning, send the light. He told us to go in all, all the world. You've just come through Easter time. On that memorable night, the greatest day, when Jesus Christ rose again from the dead, though the disciples had heard that Jesus was, was living, the tomb was empty, that's what they heard. That night, they met in an upper room, and the doors were closed, locked, for fear of the Jews. When the Lord Jesus appeared to them and showed to them the glorified wounds on his hands and his side, he not only convinced them, he commissioned them. He said, open the doors. As the Father sent me, I'm sending you. And the word is to go, go. Great to hear the church going in the month of June into all of the district. Jesus said, into all of the world. That's a command. Oh, my friend, this morning, I just say all that to establish this fact. He is the speaking Christ. The reality, and today, if you hear his voice, today, if you hear his voice, don't harden your heart. If there's a person here today and you're not a Christian, my friend, can I say it's a, it's a sad thing to have a hardened heart. Open your heart to receive God's word. To the believer today who would harden the, harden the heart in disobedience, receive. The Word of God. James wrote those words, said that we are to receive the Word of God with meekness. What does that mean? It means with openness. Receive it readily. With meekness in our hearts. However, let's go back to the book of Hebrews and look at verse 3, if you would. It's speaking again of the Lord Jesus. And it says these words, Jesus being the brightness of his glory, that is the glory of the Father, and the express image of his person, upholding all things by the word of his power. What is Jesus Christ doing today? He's not only the speaking Christ, my friend, he is the supporting, sustaining Christ. This book reminds us that all things were made by him. He is the creator of the mighty universe. But not only the creator, he is sustaining this universe. That's why, my friend, not only is this a magnificent universe, but there is exactitude in our universe. Isn't it amazing that scientists can tell us when exactly there's going to be an eclipse? They say that in uh, Great Britain we'll not see another eclipse, full eclipse, until sometime in 2034, 35. 
They're able not only to give the date, the exact time. Why? Because there's exactitude and order in our universe. And why is that? Because he's upholding all things by the word of his power. If you go to Prague, and maybe you've been to Prague, at Wenceslas Square, you'll find there the, uh, there's a big clock, what used to be the town hall. The clock not only tells the time, it tells the day, it tells the month, it tells the season, it tells the position of the planets. It, it's, the clock tells the time, but it doesn't control those things. God is in control. I heard about a physicist who went to a school, a college, and uh, gave the students a, a talk on physics. Not an easy thing to take in, perhaps, but in explaining to them the mystery of physics, he, he hit the lectern and he said, that sounds solid, but really in this world there is nothing solid. Everything is a galaxy compacted together of uh, atoms and neutrons and quarks, and they're all so tightly compacted together, it seems solid, but it's not. After he tried to explain it all, one guy in the question-answer session put his hand up and he said, Sir, you say that atoms and neutrons and alls are tightly joined together so that it seems solid, but it's not. What is it that holds it all together? I said, physicist, we know there's energy, but we don't know where it comes from. That is why in Switzerland we have the great collider. They're looking for that which holds the universe together. The fellow who asked the question turned to his friend and he said, he doesn't know what holds it together, but we know who holds it all together. He is upholding all things by the word of his power. And isn't it amazing in the book of Genesis, God gave the promise, and I say this in the light of so much is going on about the ecology of our day. God said, seed time and harvest will not fail. That is until the day that God pronounces judgment on this world. Revelation chapter 6, read all about it. But he's got the future in his hands and he's upholding all things today. Now, you say here in the Moy this morning, why should that be important to me? It's important for this reason. The Lord Jesus, who is upholding all things by the word of his power, sustaining all things, he's the same one of whom it says he is able to keep you from falling. Isn't that amazing? It means this, my friend, this morning. If he's able to sustain the universe, he's able to sustain you. Where you work, where you live. Listen, if he was able to sustain Daniel in Babylon and able to sustain those Hebrew boys in a fiery furnace and able to sustain Paul in the midst of a storm, my friend, I'll tell you this this morning, he's able to keep you. Did not the Apostle Paul say, I am persuaded that he is able to keep that which I've committed unto him against the day. He keeps the universe in order. My friend, he can keep you. Can I say something else? 
He's able to keep a home together, a marriage together. You see, the Lord Jesus was a carpenter of Nazareth. The word carpenter really is a builder. I think it quite amazing that Jesus became a builder, and yet it should not amaze us. The rabbis were taught to teach every boy of 13 a trade, and Jesus became a builder. But listen, he was always a builder. He built the universe. <laughs> he built the first marriage. He not only brought Adam and Eve together, he bound them together, he blessed them together. And the Bible says in Psalm 127, except the Lord build a house, they labor in vain that build it. My friend, if God has built your marriage, let's remember this, he's able to keep it. Sustain it. I remember when we lived in Brazil, we, uh, in the simple dwellings, the little huts they were, but some of the young married couples, we'd get them together and we'd give them two pages uh, of paper and a drop of paste and we'd get them to paste one bit of paper and then put the other one and join them both together. Both of them. Now put it under the seat. Put it under the seat. Went ahead, we went ahead and did our study together and then we said, half an hour later, let's go back to those two pages. Got the pages stuck together. Let's take them apart. You know something? They destroyed both pieces, pieces of paper. My friend, can I say, it's a sad thing when a home is torn asunder. It's not one life. It's many lives. But that which God has joined together, let no man put asunder. He's able to keep your home. I don't know what your circumstances are this morning. But he's able to sustain all things by the word of his power. He sustains the universe. He sustains your life. He can sustain your home. Listen, he can sustain the church. Sustain the church. I, I say that this morning. Let's always bear this in mind. It's not our church. It's his church. And Jesus said, I will build my church. And the gates of hell shall not prevail against The gates of hell, my friend, may try to prevail, but they never will prevail. We were singing about it this morning. Victory in Jesus. Thank God there's victory in Christ. Uh, what I just want to get over this morning is he's the Christ of reality. He's the speaking Christ. He's the sustaining Christ. Let's go back to verse 3 and read these words together who being the brightness of his glory and the express image of his person and upholding all things by the word of his power. Now listen to this. When he had by himself purged our sins, sat down on the right hand of the majesty and high. The speaking Christ, the sustaining Christ, he's the seated Christ. He sat down. Where is our Lord Jesus today? He's not on a cross. He's not in the tomb. He's seated at the right hand of the majesty and I, waiting until all things are put under his feet. This is our blessed Lord Jesus. And my friend, there are two things I'd like to underline as we come to the end of our message this morning about the seated Christ. First of all, it tells me of completion. You see, the book of Hebrews is very much 
related to the book of Leviticus, the book of Exodus and Leviticus in the Old Testament. It's a lot to do with the, the formation of the temple, the worship in the temple, the role of priests, etc. It's, it's all based on those two Old Testament books. In the temple or the tabernacle, when the worshiper came to the gate of the, the tabernacle, he, she would meet the priest. And the priest would minister at the brazen altar. It's there the sacrifices were made and the blood was shed. The priest would go from the, the brazen altar to the, the laver. The word laver means to wash. And there the priest would wash, wash his hands after, after the altar. After the labor, he would come to the, the, the curtain that would take him into the holy place. And in that covered holy place, to the right-hand side, was the table of showbread. And to the left-hand side, there was the candelabra, the, the candlestick. And the flame kept burning. And before him was the golden altar of incense. Behind that was a heavy curtain 60 feet high, and behind the curtain there was the mercy seat, the seraphim overshadowing. In all of that furniture, there was never a seat, never a place to sit down. And when the priest had finished his time, another priest came, and so that ministration went on for centuries, centuries, centuries. No one ever sat down. But when Jesus Christ came, and as this book of Hebrews reminds us, that he paid our debt once for all. Listen to what it says in chapter 7. So that I quote it to you properly. For he needs not daily as those high priests to offer up sacrifice, first for his own sins and then for the people's. This he did once. When he offered up himself, my friend, when we go to the cross of Calvary, on that cross, our Lord Jesus cried, it is finished, paid in full. And in that moment, that high curtain, 60 feet high, was torn asunder from top to bottom. Why? Because Jesus paid it all. He did it all. That means the redemption of which we were singing this morning is complete. That means, my friend, when you were converted, you, you didn't make a sort of down payment and you've got to keep working every day for your salvation. No, Jesus did it all. It's complete. He sat down. There's nothing more that needs to be done. Nothing more can be done. Jesus paid it all. Jesus did it all. He sat down. Isn't that amazing? What assurance is ours this morning? But not only speaks to me of completion, it speaks to me of control. He sat down on the right hand of the majesty on high. He's at the right hand of the Father. And my friends, as we've already related, he said these words to John, write the things which thou hast seen, the things which are, and the things which shall be hereafter. How is he able to say that? Because he's absolutely in control. Absolutely in control. Listen, the problems that are happening in Europe today are not out of the control of our God. 
He's in control. When we, when we think of what's happening in our nation today, let's remember this. It may be out of control for a government, but it's not at his. He's in control. God is not pacing heaven, saying to the son, what are we going to do? What are we going? No. He sat down. Sat down. I speak of the problems of Europe or the problems of our local government. The problems in your life, he knows all about them. This book of Hebrews reminds us we have not a high priest who cannot be touched with the feeling of our infirmity, but was tempted in all points like as we are. That double negative is an affirmative. When it says we have not a high priest who cannot be touched, it means we have a high priest who is touched with every feeling that touches you. Every situation that you face. And why? For this reason. When he came, he underwent all of our problems. And because he underwent, then he understands. And because he reigns, he undertakes. This is our Lord Jesus. The reality, listen, he is the Christ of history, gives to us the great message of the gospel. He is the Christ of prophecy in all the future. But on this Sunday, the 23rd of April, today, he's the Christ of reality. And will be the same every day this incoming week. Would you meet him in the word and let him speak with you? Will you go in the confidence that he's able to keep you? Sustain you? My friend, go through this week, whatever before, knowing this. Our God reigns. He is in control. Moses stood before the Red Sea, and the word of God was this, stand still and see the salvation of the Lord. Ruth, she was concerned about the future and how marriage would work out. And in Ruth chapter 3, Boaz said to her, sit still, my daughter. Stand still, Ruth, sit still. Psalm 46, Hezekiah is concerned about King Sennacherib threatening Jerusalem. God said to him, be still and know that I am God. He is the same yesterday, today, and forever. Heavenly Father, how we thank you for such a wonderful Savior as Jesus our Lord. <coughs> we pray that you will bless this word to all of our hearts this morning. And whatever our circumstances, help us to keep looking to the Savior. Bless each family here represented, each home. Our Father, we pray that you will keep our homes. Remember our children and grandchildren. Granted in the tender early years of life, they'll come to know Christ the Savior. So accept our thanks in Jesus' name. Amen.